Our scripture reading from the Old Testament is 1 Samuel 17, the entire chapter. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open so that you might see that there's reason for me to to make the claims that I make, that what is in the sermon was first in the Bible. So 1 Samuel 17 is the scripture reading, and we read the entire passage. Hear the word of God. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered together at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath, from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed six hundred shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul, and they, and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight, and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. 
And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great gifts, great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it, struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of ar the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, 
But David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted, and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley, and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shaaraim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his, in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this you? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. May God bless our reading of his own holy and infallible word. He was much bigger and stronger and more experienced than David. And yet God gave David victory over Goliath. The things that we just read from 1 Samuel 17 really happened about 3,000 years ago. There really was a giant warrior named Goliath. There really was a young man, a shepherd named David, who slung a stone that hit Goliath in the forehead, so that Goliath fell forward on his face, and David took Goliath's own sword, killed him with it, and cut off his head. It sure is an exciting story. Maybe that's one of the reasons boys and girls like it. Maybe you like it because David was young when it happened. We need to be clear that David wasn't a child. He probably was at least a teenager, a young man. In the time when David lived, lots of people couldn't read. But lots of men watched the things that happened in this story. And they told the people who were not there. So that days later, women in their homes had heard and they sang of David who killed his ten thousands. Imagine Israelite moms and dads telling their sons and daughters, boys and girls, this true story about this big, mean, scary giant named Goliath. And David, the young man who trusted in God. And they would tell of how God helped David to defeat Goliath and to win the battle. The most important thing I want us to learn about David this morning is that he is an example of someone who feared the Lord. He thought about what God wanted. He cared about what God liked and what God hated. There were other people in this story who didn't think about God very much or at all. There was King Saul who, who disobeyed God before this story, who offered a sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel to come. And the Bible tells us something very sad about Saul. The Bible tells us that God wasn't with Saul to help him anymore. So what a sad thing it is that 
The man who tells David, go and the Lord be with you, that God isn't with him. When Goliath comes, the King Saul and the men of Israel were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were afraid of Goliath, but many of them didn't think about or fear God. How did Goliath think about the God of Israel? Well, Goliath thinks that the God of Israel is a joke. And I say that based on verse 10, 1 Samuel 17, verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Goliath was not just making fun of Israel. He was doing that, to be sure. But he was making fun of the God of Israel. In verse 26, we see how David thinks about how God sees Goliath and what he's doing there. He talks about a reproach. That means that Israel is being mocked, and the people should be ashamed of what's going on. What's more, David says that Goliath is defying and mocking God not just Israel. David had a different attitude than his older brother Eliab. Eliab was at the battle, and he heard that David had said that Goliath was mocking God and someone ought to go and fight him. Instead of thinking about that and learning from his younger brother, Eliab got mad at him. He said that the work that David did wasn't important, that he was only taking care of a few sheep in the wilderness. And he said that David had come to the battle for the wrong reasons that all he was doing really was to spy on them there, to watch the fight and to do nothing. That David was all talk and no action. But it was unfair for Eliab to talk that way about David. I think that he got mad at David because he knew that David was right and that he was wrong. And there's a lesson for us in this congregation. The words that you don't want to hear just might be the very thing that you need to hear. Don't be like Eliab. The person who tells you the truth is your friend. That's the kind of person you need in your life. Listen to him. Think about what she says. Eliab wasn't thinking about God and what God wanted, or the, that this was really a fight against God's enemy. As far as we can tell from the story, fearing God was not the most important thing for Eliab. All this to say David was different from King Saul he was different from his older brother Eliab, and he was different from the Israelite army, and he certainly was different from Goliath. But the main reason that made David different is that David feared the Lord. Are you going to follow David's example in the way that you live? Do you love God? Do you want what he wants? Do you, do you hate the things that God hates? Are you glad when you learn about people who love Jesus? There are other ways in which David is an example. He did what his father Jesse asked him to do. He was responsible. When he went to the camp of the army, he made sure that someone else was taking care of the sheep. He didn't just leave them on their own. What's more, if he had an animal to carry the supplies, and I think that's likely, given all the supplies he was asked to bring, he left that animal, and he certainly left the supplies with the person who took care of those things. And these are all important parts of human life. They are important for life in this world. Being responsible and, and fearing God will help you to stay out of trouble. They will help you to live a, a good life. But fearing God is the most important thing of all. There's one more way I want us to see that David was an example. He's an example of faith. 
Some people don't understand what faith is. They say that faith means that I believe something will happen because I want it to happen. And faith means I believe that it will happen even if it looks impossible for this thing to happen. We need to be clear, that is not faith. David had good reasons to believe that God would help him. David learned about God from the way that God helped him in the past. Try to imagine what it would be like for David to take care of his father's sheep. He tells us that one time a lion came and grabbed the lamb in his mouth and tried to take that lamb away in order to kill kill it and eat it. And another time a bear came and tried to do the same thing. But both times David ran after the animal, that animal of prey, and he hit it with his shepherd's staff. He made it drop the lamb, and when the lion, when the bear turned to attack him, to try to bite him and kill him, David grabbed it by the hair on his chin with one hand, and he hit it with his other hand. When you hear that story, you probably think, well, that sure would be scary to have a lion come, to have a bear come and try to take my sheep away. David sure was brave. After all, he didn't have a gun to shoot the lion or the bear. He saved the lamb so that these animals didn't take them away and eat them. What a brave young man David was. But David told the story in a different way than I just did. He said, The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. God was the one who helped David to think clearly. God was the one who gave David his strength. God is the one who kept David safe as he did what he had to. That is what God did in the past in David's life And David knew that, and he remembered that. And he said, the same God who helped me before will help me against Goliath in the future. God saved me before, and he'll do it again. David doesn't say, I want this to happen, so God has to do this for me. That's telling God what he has to do. That's not faith. It's sin. And we must not do that. I don't think any of us have had the same experience as David did. And I don't think any of us will need to kill a giant in the same way as David did. But there's still a lesson for us. We know what God has done in the past and what he's promised to do in the future through his word in the Bible. We're not supposed to make things up and to say, God told me this, or God told me to tell you that. Instead, we need to read the Bible and to listen when the Bible is being read so that we will know for sure what God has said. And then, as David did, you and I need to believe that God will keep his promises that he's made in his word. Living in faith means that we trust God, that we believe that God will do what he said he would do. That's what David did when he went to fight against Goliath. God gave David the faith he exercised, and David believed God. He used that gift of faith. There's a lesson for us that we need to believe the promise of God. We need to believe that God will help us, that he won't leave us alone when we do what is right. Sometimes people won't understand. They might even get mad at us or say mean things. But if we're trying to do what is right, and we want to do what God says in the Bible, we need to believe that he will help us, even when we get into trouble, when we didn't do anything wrong. God will help you. He knows if you are trying to do what is right. He knows when you're trying to obey him. And you might even lose friends. 
Boys and girls, we don't know very much about David's life, about when he was young like you. But we do know that even when, his, when he was a boy, his parents taught him about the Lord. He learned about the Lord. He loved the Lord even when he was young. We don't know how old David was when God saved him. But we do know that God worked in his life, that God changed David into a young man who is a good and holy and godly example. David needed God to do that in his life. And you need to know, everyone, that if you don't love Jesus, you need God to do the same for you. You need him to save you from your sins. That if God doesn't change you, you need to know that you're living in a way like Saul who disobeyed God, or Eliab, David's older brother who got mad when David wanted to do what was right. Or even worse, apart from Jesus Christ, all of us by nature are like Goliath, who don't care about God, what he thinks, who don't care about learning from God's word, who don't value going to church, who don't see these things as vital and most important. If you are such a person here today, or within the sound of my voice, don't continue in the way that you are going. Please, don't stay that way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask God to save you, and he will. In the rest of our time together, I want to show how David teaches us about Jesus. There are really three parts of this story that are connected to each other here and that help us to see this, this incident more clearly and more fully. First, there's the story of David, who believed that God would help him in his battle, who went to fight with Goliath, and God gave him the, him the victory. Second, there's the broader story of the nation of Israel. David would be their anointed king in time. Though it wouldn't happen for some time, through David's victory over Goliath, God was indicating to his people that David was the one that God would use to give them victory over their enemies. And thirdly, David and Israel's story is part of the story of redemption, of how Jesus Christ, God's anointed, the Messiah, would gain the victory over the devil and all evil, and that believers share in his victory. This victory over evil was made certain at the cross, and it will be finished forever when Jesus casts the devil into the lake of fire, there to remain forever and ever. In the same way that there was a fight, a battle between David and Goliath, there is a long war going on between God and the devil. Not only is it true that David is a type of Christ, he's an Old Testament example meant to teach us more about Jesus, the Savior that the people of the time were looking forward to, but it's also true that Goliath is a type of the devil in his opposition to Jesus Christ. Here are five ways I want us to notice that, De that Goliath was like the devil. First, uh, both of David, both Goliath and the devil were enemies of God. They were full of hatred for God and his people. Secondly, the, De the Goliath rather was experienced as a man of war from his youth. He was trained and armed with a 26-foot spear that had a, a point that weighed some 15 pounds. Try to imagine the massiveness of that weapon. And 
just as Goliath was experienced as a man of war and had much training and learned much about battle and killing people, so the devil has had thousands of years of experience in watching people. He knows what fallen human nature is like. He is armed with knowledge which he uses with evil intentions. An enemy who knows much about his opposition is doubly dangerous, and so that is with the devil, as you think about what it means for him to be a tempter and to know what particular temptations particular people are vulnerable to. Third, Goliath was strong. It's been estimated that his armor weighed 125 pounds and that he was some 600 pounds in mass. And nearly 10 feet tall, boys and girls, Goliath was nearly as tall as a basketball hoop in the gym at school on playgrounds. Try to imagine what it would be like for somebody to to be that tall. He couldn't stand up straight in our homes. Even with a nine-foot ceiling, he was a big, big man, and he was strong. And we learned from him, and we're reminded from Goliath, this great, tall, strong enemy, that before he fell, the devil was a mighty angel named Lucifer, great in power and, and beautiful and magnificent. But he fell. Also, fourthly here, both of these enemies are frightening. Israel was quaking before Goliath. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. And we read that when they saw him, they fled. They were very afraid. And if you think about the impact of false religions, where evil spirits are, are worshipped as powers that need to be appeased, and you hear of people who have been saved from these false religions, you hear about their lives of great fear and the terror they experience because of these evil forces. Fifthly and lastly here, I want us to see that both Goliath and the devil to whom he points are enslavers. Remember how he said to the Israelites, you shall be our slaves and serve us. And isn't that what sin does, dear ones? To be in bondage to sin is to be in slavery, to be held captive by evil. Even if it is a choice that fallen human nature makes, it's a choice that someone makes again and again as sin's slave, and ultimately the devil's slave. So we see how perfectly Goliath is a type of the devil. And now I want us to notice how David is a type of Christ and what he teaches us of the Savior who would come. First, David was outraged. As he looks at this opposition, and what Goliath is doing. And he asks, who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And think now of the ministry of Jesus, how he was rightly angry when the religious leaders added rules to God's word. And these religious leaders wouldn't help the people to move the burdens with one of their little fingers. They had no compassion on people who had sinned. And Jesus was was angry when the temple was used as a place of business, and people were being cheated, being charged exorbitant prices for animals for sacrifice. What's more, he was angry at the impact of sin, at the the work of the devil and demon possession, disease and death. Secondly, as we think about parallels between David and Jesus, David was mocked. He was made fun of. Goliath disdained him and ridiculed him. He asks in verse 43, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? 
and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And think about how the people belittled Jesus, that he was from a no-account town called Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They asked. They didn't expect a prophet to come from there. His enemies said that Jesus was in league with the devil for his power. They called him a Samaritan, the most racially loaded slur that people could throw at each other in that day. And listen to how Matthew describes the way that Jesus was dismissed, blasphemed, mocked, and ridiculed as he hung on the cross from Matthew 27. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if you will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Both of them faced mockery, and Jesus supremely so, as the very son of God, whose motives and power were questioned. Thirdly, David was courageous. He says, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. David's courage rose because he knew what God wanted him to do. He knew that God was with him and that God would help him. And think about how Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. How that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Think of how he comforted those who were sorrowful. sorrowful and fearful. How many times he said, don't be afraid, fear not. Why are you crying? Jesus was courageous for himself and for his needy and troubled people. He knew that he is God and that God the Father delighted in him. He knew what must happen to him and how God would help him, even though the way was the most difficult way there could ever be, the way of suffering and bearing God's wrath and death on the cross, and he pressed on in courage. Fourth, David was prepared. Before he fought Goliath, God made David ready through the work of, of being a shepherd. It would have been lonely and difficult. There would have been hard things for David to go through. He was taking care of sheep. He had to find lost sheep. He had to protect them from wild animals. There was lots of work for him to do. Problems came one after another. Think about how God prepared his son, Jesus Christ. He gave him a body, as it says in Hebrews 10.5. God prepared a body for him. What's more, Jesus learned the word of God as a child. He had to learn just as boys and girls do today. That's part of what it meant for him to be human. And it was probably through learning from the Old Testament that he learned more and more of why he had come to earth. What's more, God prepared his son in his, human, in his humanity by having him work. Jesus had to work in order to live. He didn't do miracles to make food for himself so that he could sit around and do nothing. He had to work as a carpenter, and we can be sure he did good work. What's more, God prepared Jesus Christ and matured him through suffering. As Hebrews 5, 9, and 10 says, Jesus learned obedience 
and he was perfected through suffering. Fifthly, David was confident. He discards the useless armor, and he takes his shepherd's staff and his slingshot and just five smooth stones from the brook. David was confident in his actions, and he showed confidence with his words. But we must remember, dear ones, that David's confidence was in God, not in himself, as we read, as we read in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the people assembled shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. This wasn't a a gory, ugly ISIS video. This was action to show that the God of Israel is God alone, and that those who have confidence in God will do great things in the service of God and for the glory of God. Notice with me as well that Jesus was confident. Earlier I referred to Isaiah 50 when I said that Jesus set his face like a flint. And this is what it says in verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 50. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they all grow, all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Think about how Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he rebuked Peter for using his sword to try to prevent Jesus' capture and arrest. And he says in Matthew 26, 53, Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? Jesus' confidence was in God his Father and he pressed on in the way of suffering and cross-bearing, crucifixion and death. David was God-glorifying. He was motivated by God's reputation, a desire to lift up the name of the God of Israel. He told Saul how the Lord had delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And we just read how he told Goliath that God would give him victory over the enemy. And if we think now about the life and the ministry of Jesus, think about how he was focused on the will of God his Father. And he could pray in truth. In John 17, I have glorified you on the earth. David did this and all the other things in his life imperfectly. But Jesus did it sinlessly and perfectly. Seventhly, David was victorious. God blessed him and directed that smooth, insignificant stone to take down this seemingly untouchable enemy. And think now, more marvelous, marvelously, more amazingly, what God has done in the crucifixion of Jesus as he died on the cross. Something that was so bad that the people thought that anyone who was crucified was a loser, not a winner. But in the foolishness and the weakness 
and the offense of Christ crucified, the power of God in the salvation of sinners has been achieved and is now proclaimed for you today. Christ crucified, the paradox of the gospel, the strength of God shown in profound weakness and vileness. Notice, eighthly, that both David and Jesus were substitutes. David was a representative, a substitute for the army of Israel. And the the well-being of Israel stood or fell on David's success. Boys and girls, substitute means somebody who takes someone else's place. In a way, you could think of me as a substitute for Pastor Poles today, because he's away on vacation and I'm here so that there's pulpit supply. I'm a substitute. Or you could think about it if a teacher is unable to teach because of illness or some absence, somebody else comes and takes that teacher's place. The substitute stands in the place of the teacher, of, of the other person. And even though the Israelites were glad that David was their substitute, he took their place to fight against Goliath, how much more thankful we should be for Jesus, our perfect substitute. We're reminded of this through the precious words for you. Every time that the Lord's Supper is celebrated and we read the form and we hear the words, Christ's body broken for you, fellow believers. Christ's blood shed for you, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Remember how Paul spoke of Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. Boys and girls, this means that Jesus took the punishment that we deserve because of our sins. Jesus took the wrath of God and the punishment of sin for all the people that God the Father has given to his Son. For everyone who believes in him, he takes our place. He is the substitute, the, the one we need, and the one I get to tell you about today. And notice lastly with me, dear ones, that David was rewarded. The promise of the king was great riches, that his daughter would be given as a wife to the man who killed Goliath, that Saul promised to make that man's family and his parents exempt from taxes. They would never have to pay taxes again. These were great rewards, to be sure. But we never read of David getting the money that he was promised. And the firstborn daughter of Saul was named Merib. She was promised to David, but she was given to someone else. And then David had to kill another 100 Philistines in order to receive Michal, another daughter of Saul. Later, she would be given to another man, and David would have to get her back. And that first man was very sad about that. What a mess this all was. What a sad story. Saul promised very much, and he gave very little. In comparison to David's reward, Jesus received the best reward there could ever be, the place of honor at his Father's right hand, the promise that he will rule, and he does rule over everything and everyone as King of kings and Lord of lords. But a time will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These are just some of the lessons that we can learn from the story of David and Goliath. What they teach us about Jesus and how he will win over the devil. And I have one thing more to say. Just as there were two sides in the battle, people were either on Israel's side 
with Saul and David and his brothers in the army, or they were on the enemy side, the Philistine side, just so. And more importantly, there are two sides in the battle between Jesus and the devil. If you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't fear the Lord and have faith, you need to know that you are on the devil's side. Think back to the story of David and Goliath. Goliath wouldn't serve the God of Israel. David killed Goliath, and we have every reason to believe that Goliath went to hell. But your story doesn't have to end that way. If you're learning now that you're on the devil's side, even though you have sinned against God, he still can save you. He wants you to know that there's a way to, to be saved by believing on Jesus. And God is still able to take you from the enemy's side and to put you on his side. And that's the only good side of the battle to be on. Ask him to save you, to change who you are and what you want. And he'll do it. And you can be on the winning side too. Amen.